0: Hey, I want to welcome everybody to our, uh, our webinar today, and I am really, really excited that you have joined us and, uh, and who I'm going to be interviewing, Katie Cole, who it's, it's always a, a delight to get to listen to or talk to or be with. And um, Katie, if you don't know Katie, and I think most of you probably do, Katie is a uh, best-selling author. She is also a very much in-demand speaker. Uh, she has her own consulting company that we were just talking about that before we jumped on here live seems to be doing really well these days, Katie Cole and company. So if there's anything that we're talking about that, you know, you're going like, man, I'd like to be more information about that or how to access her or use some of these resources. I think that's probably the place to go. We'll we'll make sure we give you all that towards the end, but, but really kind of the the purpose of us being together. uh, I guess I should say, hi, Katie, how you doing?
1: (laughs) Good Dave. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. It's great to be with you again.
0: I, I feel, I, I we'd already said hello, and then we went
1: it. <laughs> we <laughs> like to jump into it, too, so we're ready to go.
0: <laughs> and part of the reason we're talking is because you got a new book out, um, mm-hmm. kind of f- Find Your Leadership Voice in 90 Days, which it is really, It's a real i getting to write a little bit myself. I think it's a really smart way you've done it, too, because, I mean, you got short, kind of bite-sized chapters, 90 of them. So, I mean, you can just kind of like, it's almost, to say it's devotional makes it sound like it's, not as challenging, at least in the way I think. So it's not really devotional reading, but it's that kind of experience where you could just take a chunk every day and really mm-hmm. begin to make progress in just finding your leadership voice. Um, I was gonna tell everybody, one, one of the reasons I, I, I really, I love talking to Katie is I feel like every time I'm with you, I, I do, I learn something new. Um, I think the last time we were together, you can correct me, because I haven't been on a plane. I'm getting ready to go to Austin Wednesday. That'll be the first time on a plane in 14 months mm-hmm. um, for business anyway. But I think we were together in Dallas and there was probably, I don't know, 60, 70 church planning people, leaders in the room, all of them guys. (laughs) You you were the woman. This is
1: true. I remember that day.
0: (laughs) Maybe for you going like, well, which time was that?
1: I know It is a typical situation for me. But yes, I do remember that one.
0: (laughs) And they had you speak. And um, I just thought. There was, it was It was probably a diverse room theologically, and with that room, you really just did a great job of championing women in leadership and just helping everybody understand, okay, no matter what your theological position, here's how we can do a better job of really developing female leaders. Um, so I took a lot of notes. It was a help to me, so thank you. But and I think this is going to be helpful, too. So let's, let's talk about your new book, okay? Um, Finding Your Leadership Voice in 90 Days. I think there's a story if I understand this right, there's a story behind this that really kind of inspired you to write this book. Tell us, tell us that story.
1: Yes. Well, my previous book was Developing Female Leaders, where I really tried to help uh, mostly guy leaders, because it's the majority of our church leaders, figure out how to do a better job with the women on their team. So I was getting a lot of questions as I was working with multi-site churches and leadership development pipelines about, we've got these great women on our team, or we feel like this is something holding us back, or as we kind of analyzed what was holding their mission implementation back, it really was they had a lot of women with leadership gifts that they just weren't accessing. And again, I found in my research, theology had very little to do with it. There were sometimes uh, very conservative churches who were using women at many levels and really progressive or egalitarian churches who weren't using hardly any women in their leadership. And so that really wasn't the issue. It was more these cultures and these habits and practices that we as leaders have in our leadership. So that's what I've been talking about for the last couple of years, trying to help great guys, you know, pastors who really want to do a better job and use all the resources God's brought to their church? How do I release that, honor my theology, and help women do everything they're called to do in my local church? Uh, But as I've been working on that the last couple of years, I've met so many women who are getting opportunities to lead, but to be really honest, they're not having any fun. <laughs> it's like there's there's this pressure, there's these mentalities, this kind of old way of thinking, or maybe they're realizing uh, they've n- they don't know as much as everybody else on the team, or maybe they do know as much and they're doing a great job, but they're second-guessing themselves. And a lot of what I end up doing when I talk with women at churches and on teams and even in businesses is we talk a lot of about what they're saying to themselves, how they're thinking about this, um, sort of the cultural or the uh, conditioning statements they've made about themselves that's holding them back, not only from accepting a leadership job or going for it, if they've geared up and said, I You know, put me in coach. Once they're there, it's still not enjoyable. And a lot of them are looking at quitting. A lot of them are like, this wasn't worth it. Uh, I would rather go back and be an assistant somewhere. The stress is not worth it. And so, really, this is my attempt to write to women on teams and say, hey, please don't give up. (laughs) This is hard. There are some challenges, but a lot of what we can do to equip ourselves is to think about it differently, to take a look at God's word, to take a look at some big leadership principles that chances are, according to the research, you probably weren't included in those conversations, by the way, when you were growing up as a leader. Uh, There's some really interesting statistics out about how women are left out of about a third of the concrete training and skills competencies that guys are given. And so when they get into these roles, they're missing some things like, how do you delegate? How do you speak up? And, you know, have your reputation get enhanced by giving your opinion, not be shushed in the room or feel bad about it afterwards? How do you negotiate your salary or for your team or for resources? And many of these skill sets and many of these mindsets are really holding women back, but they're also just holding back the joy of living in your calling. And so- That's really why I wrote the book was to try to help women uh, kind of take that on and then also to help men sort of understand what they could do to help them. So I created, I'm I'm an HR nerd, so I created this whole kind of training system with it. I'm like, this is if you see women in your church that you're giving titles and opportunity and platform to and they're. They're second guessing. They're always showing up in your, your office going like, what did you think? Was that good enough? Will I ever get to do it again? And you're just kind of like, it was wonderful. Why are you Why are you questioning yourself? This really is attacking that internal dialogue, that sticky floor that so many women, particularly women who grew up in church environments, are really struggling with right now.
0: And so that's what you've identified as the leadership voice. Yes. So, okay, let's let just because you use that, I mean, that's in the title and everything. So what do you, I mean... Voice could be a lot of things, your internal voice, how I'm talking right now. I mean, what does that mean when you say, you know, your leadership voice?
1: So I'm not really talking about just your physical voice, although your presentation is definitely a part of it. It's a combination of the gifts that God gave you, the calling he has on your life, the authority that's been given to you. I talk with a lot of women who have been given authority by their boss to lead this team or run this initiative or oversee this project, and they're shrinking back from it. And so the authority that's actually been given to you is important for you to use your voice in. You're pre-approved to speak up on behalf of this project. You don't have to ask permission for something that's already been given to you. All of those things in combination is how we discern what our God-given leadership voices. And when we know that, when we know it's from the Lord, when we know we're in the right to talk about this or to talk about it in this way or to stand up for something, then we can do it with confidence and really see the fruit of what leadership is supposed to be, which is bringing change. And many women oftentimes shrink back from that leadership voice because they they don't want to have friction. They might not want to have conflict, or they might overshoot and be too aggressive and then get their hand slapped or feel like they have uh, violated some cultural principle when they were trying to fight for something. This is about that healthy middle, that assertive, healthy, godly leadership voice. How do you know if you're too soft, too aggressive? How do you how do you go right in the middle where Jesus wants us to lead and initiate godly, positive change?
0: It, it is it is some of the reason... And it sounds like what I'm hearing you say, and you can correct me, that women uniquely have maybe a hard time finding their your leadership voice because. See if this. Is like, um, on the one hand, a lot of them are pioneering. They're in new spaces that they haven't been, um, in my opinion, for wrongly wrong reasons, haven't been permitted before, and and also like you mentioned too, they probably didn't have access to about a third of the, some of the training. Is, is that kind of what's going on?
1: It is partly that. It's probably less a gender issue and more an issue of minority. And so I would say these same principles we see in the research around racial minorities, around age minorities, um, that when you are someone who's different than the majority, thought process, mindset, affinity group that you're a part of, your way of going about leading using your leadership voice initiating change is going to inherently be different and it's going to kind of smack up against the culture and it causes us to question ourselves because it's different than everybody else and we want to question ourselves that's an important quality of growth and self-awareness is that when we're different why is that when you're one of the only people who's different it is really hard to stay different and that conflict between being myself And being what is approved or expected creates a lot of stress. And that's where we see many of our church environments that are fairly homogenous struggling with diversity, right? We've been talking the last year at Exponential about together cultures and about John 17 and real unity. I mean, talk about God's timing where we were a year ago speaking on this very topic. And then what we've experienced, particularly in America this last year, this is a huge issue that the church has not Figured out how to adjust our own personal leadership styles and the cultures we're building, so that everyone can bring their unique gift and perspective—not outside the lines of godliness, not outside the values of your culture—but within that, there has to be room for people to have uniqueness. And when you're the only person who's different than everyone else, the uniqueness doesn't feel encouraged. It usually feels discouraged.
0: But I mean, again, because I'm trying to I'm trying to grasp this for myself, as is I think where we're listening. So, but really i mean the reason we need more in this case we'll just we'll just label the whole thing minorities is because we need those unique perspectives to be all that god wants us to be
1: absolutely yes and one of the reasons i i am such a champion of female leaders uh first of all i am one but secondly uh because women are actually the majority of our churches. The average church is 61% women. And so when we talk about women as minorities, we're really talking about them in leadership spaces. So that's why we're talking about leadership voices. Not every woman is a leader. I don't believe everyone should be in leadership, just like I believe not every man should be in leadership, but women who are gifted and have a calling and are anointed and you see spiritual fruit, they should be leading. And if they're struggling, we have to look at the cultures we've built and our own practices. And when we do that, we it's not really about helping women become better in the bigger picture. It's about us as leaders becoming better, more inclusive leaders. We not only make way for women, we make way for everyone.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, for those of you listening in too, great, off to a great start here on this conversation. If you do have questions, uh, leave those for us. We will we'll kind of jump in and out, answer those questions. We do get one, we got one question here real quick and then I'm going to come back to some of the questions I already have but it says this, um, where can someone dig deeper into research that Katie's talking about, uh, whether it's her book or somewhere else? Because you've already, like probably twice, said it's in the research. It's in the <laughs> so it's kind of the same thing. Like what research?
1: So my um, first book on this topic, Developing Female Leaders, uh, is a really a research-based book. There are hundreds of articles and research projects uh, that reference all of these statistics. And so you can find it in that book. This uh, second book, Finding My Leadership Voice, uh, I don't reference them nearly as much because the um, it's more of a, a narrative kind of book. But the first book, Developing Female Leaders, you'll find all of those.
0: And did you give them a website there?
1: Uh, So katiecole.com, K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E. You can get all the information.
0: All right. Um, In the book, one of the things you do is you talk about the difference between a right to speak and then also a call to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Share about the difference between those two, the right to speak and a call to speak.
1: Sure. One of the things that happens when women grow up in church leadership environments is that we often get a mixed message about our leadership, that uh, it is important for leaders to speak up and to advocate and to give your opinion, but it's uh, also important for Christian godly women to stay quiet and have a gentle spirit and not really speak. And so that conflict creates a lot of challenges when you're in a leadership environment of which do I choose? Do I choose to be a good leader here or do I choose to be a good godly woman here? And so one of the things I talk about is the difference between the right and the call. So the right to Speak comes when you have a certain authority. Excuse me. So, when you're on a team, you have a right to speak. If you're on the team, if you have a position, if you've been invited into the meeting, you should speak. That's part of the right that has been given to you by whoever is in charge of the meeting. And certainly, if you are in charge of the meeting, you should speak. You should not defer that authority. That's actually really poor leadership. Now, on the other side, we also have a call that God gives us to speak up into certain situations. And the call is a little bit more aligned with our giftedness. So let's say I'm on a team. I'm a member. You're the leader. And we're doing a project and working on something. And the team is getting really discouraged. We're behind. We're over budget. You know, the things aren't working out the same way. And everyone's a little discouraged. I happen to have the gift of encouragement. And so do I have a right to speak up in this meeting? Yes, because I'm on the team. But because what my team needs is encouragement, I also have a spiritual call to speak and to bring my gift to this conversation. Now, if what the team needed was something different, if uh, someone needed the gift of mercy or the gift of intercession or the gift of something else that I don't have, I still have a right to speak, but I don't have a calling, that spiritual anointing calling to speak into those things. I might try my best, but most of the time the formal leader often doesn't have the gift for the need at hand. And so part of what we as team members need to do is lean into that right to speak when it's important or it has to do with our area, but also lean into that calling where we bring that supernatural gifting to the mix. That's part of what God wants to, uh, that's part of the miracle of having unity is we have all the gifts at the table and there's an anointing that comes when we use our gift.
0: I'm thinking about, we just had our uh, kind of our first leadership staff retreat um, here at Community Christian Church last week. And, um, we knew as we looked over our shoulder this last year had been really, really hard for a lot of people. I mean, really hard in a lot of different ways. I'm trying to see, I'm trying to apply your principle here. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I had felt like a lot of anxiety for me going into that meeting, kind of casting the vision for it. Cause we got this great new kind of vision for the church being a hybrid church, that kind of stuff. But I was, I think I was feeling anxious because I didn't feel like I was going to be able to communicate the appropriate amount of empathy that the group needed, to be honest. Because it was hard for me this last year, but not nearly as hard for me as it was for a lot of people. And um, one of our key leaders, we were talking about it, and he began to tell me some of the things that he'd been through. And so we actually had uh, some actually one of, one of our key female leaders actually facilitated a process and then he spoke up and others spoke up and they talked about what they'd been through and it you could just feel it transform the environment because i don't really call that a gift but their own experience and it made it all of a sudden a safe place for officers to share like yeah this has been really hard and really kind of process it and it felt like by doing that for an hour before i got up to share the vision for where we're going to go next take the next hill um together, we created something that I could have never done on my own. Is that kind of the idea you're talking
1: about? Absolutely. I love that. And see, that works because we have both sides of the equation working. And that's really, for me, what's important is that you as a leader who owned the responsibility was aware enough, right? You had enough leadership awareness. I just made up that term and I should probably copyright it, but you had enough leadership awareness to know what your gift was and what it wasn't and what your team needed. And in that moment, that delta, that gap between what you knew they needed and what you personally have is where great leadership happens, right? Good leaders go in and try to fake it. Great leaders go, they need something I don't have. And the uh, kind of awareness, humility, and confidence to enlist someone else, not be thrown by their gifting, but enlist them to really minister to the team is exactly it. But had that female leader or any other leader said, Oh, no, 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 you should do that. You're the leader or got up and did a bad job or tried to be you or tried to be funny or, and didn't walk in their giftedness, right? Probably my hunch is the person who facilitated it had the gifts you knew you lacked to be able to bring that crew together and facilitate more personal conversations, more emotionally, uh, in tune, dialogue, give space, right? So that's really um, talking about gifts of mercy, that kind of counselor profile, the shepherding gift. Those would be the gifts I would think that would be at play there. Being able to facilitate that is what allows you to lead an organization as big as it is and as with as much movement as it is because both of you stepped up to the plate in the way you were both called they had authority and gifted to do it.
0: That's super helpful. It's a great way of thinking about it. And, and for those of you listening, I mean, this is, not, this is not a male or female thing. In this case, or what it really is, it's just a, it's a leadership thing. Yes. And that sometimes sometimes you have a right to speak, and sometimes you have a call to speak. And you need to know the difference. And and yes, I was tempted to fake it. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I had enough sense to go like, mm, I don't think so.
1: Like, I'm not touching that one with a 10-foot pole. Well, well I,
0: I it wasn't in me, not in the same level, you know.
1: I do think that one of the challenges um, many pastors face right now is the exact tension that you are feeling, which is we have really loved high-capacity entrepreneurial Big L leaders who kind of all say under their breath, don't come to me for counseling. Don't get pastoral care for me. I stink at this, right? And we all laugh at that, but now we really need it. Like we actually need that from our pastors more than anything else. Most of us don't need big vision. We don't need a lot more places to put our money. We actually need someone to be like, hey, you've lost some really significant things. And I want to walk you through that. Now, our church still needs all those giftings, but many of the people need something else for a time. And so part of what many leaders are experiencing and a lot of the burnout and the depression that many are experiencing is they're trying to live outside their giftedness rather than using their gift to recruit the people who can actually serve the people the best.
0: That's super helpful. And I hope everybody that are more kind of, apostolic evangelistic type a folks like me that are listening and you probably have a lot of those since it's on exponential because that's kind of we, we cater to you know those people who are wanting to start something a new thing and create movements we really 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 need to tap into the gifts of those shepherds right now because yes
1: And I would just say, let me just speak up for all the women. It doesn't, you're not looking for females. (laughs) This is not a gender-based gifting, right? Please don't send me your counseling people either. I don't want them either. So you're looking for people with the gifting, those pastoral, shepherds, mercy, care, pastor, people, um, male and female. We need both. All
0: right. So, I mean, we've kind of covered some of the stuff. No, this is just a leadership thing. It's a people thing. But in the book, you do talk about, there's some leadership concepts that really, Yes, they apply to everyone, but others, a few anyway, that are unique to women. Um, I think one of them you talk about is the likability trap. Mm Mm-hmm. Funny, what's the likability trap?
1: <laughs> so the likability trap is a research study that found when men move up in leadership in an organization, uh, they are not only more respected, they are more liked as a person. So if they move from manager to director to vice president to president um, or from you know associate pastor to pastor to senior pastor, they're more respected, they're more liked. For women, the opposite happens. The more a female moves up in leadership, the less liked she is. Uh, she might be more respected as a leader, but she is less uh, liked as a person. And so this puts... Is
0: it true both the men and the women like her less as she moves up? Yes. Just, both or- men and
1: women like her less. Is yes.
0: It, it, I mean, according to the research, if you if you know, is it proportional the same too? that? Yeah. I mean, the same percentage of women kind of also continue. Do dislike her in the same person
1: of, of men? The Studies I read didn't break it down by percentage, but it was overall men and women like men more, men and women like women less,
0: as they rise in the organization. as they
1: rise in leadership, okay, and you're
0: so. you thought, but I want to know why.
1: <laughs> okay, so part of, well, part of the why is because we just haven't seen women grow in leadership, and um, in many cultures, right? Cultures of our homes, our families, our churches, our own mindsets. Uh, many of the qualities that um, are in higher levels of leadership, we tend to sort of talk about as masculine. So, being very decisive, uh, being very clear, holding people accountable, making decisions quickly, being able to kind of weed through the um, the, the buzz of everybody else and, and really delineate the problem, call it out, cast a vision, move us forward, firing people, right? When a guy fires sort of someone that's not doing a great job, we go, Oh, thank goodness. When a female fires someone, we tend to go, she is really unkind. Like he has a family, right? And so what about their poor family? And they're all in our church and right. So, so those kinds of things where, where the more, the higher you go, we feel like they're more masculine qualities, the lower in the organization, we assume they're more feminine qualities. And a lot of that comes because we've grown up in an era where women had lower level leadership positions and men had the higher level leadership positions. You meet very few men who have been admin assistants. You meet very few women who have been CEOs. So we tend to genderify levels of the organization. The challenge for women, particularly in Christian environments, is likability is a huge piece of the reason you get hired and the reason you get leadership is because we like you. You've got a great personality. You're not going to threaten anybody. You're not going to take over the senior pastor's job, right? You don't have ambition. You just want to serve. We have all these sort of gender-appropriate ways that we want you to lead, and yet we promote you when really the leadership decision is you need to fire someone, or you have to make a tough decision, or you have to take money away from a certain budget and ministry and put it into something else. And that makes us not really like you that much anymore. And I would say for women uh, also, the secondary issue is you not only are navigating this at work, but you're navigating it at your church. So the female friendship base at a church becomes very awkward when you start Firing people's husbands, or you start taking min- money away from their ministry. It's a it's a whole another world that most men. They're I don't say they're unaware of it. They're just really glad they don't have to navigate it <laughs> on a daily basis. And so for women, there's this oftentimes a real challenge of Do I want to take that promotion? Because if I do, that's going to cost me, you know, my small group, or I don't really get to go to women's Bible study the way I used to, or I'm friends with all these guys as wives, and I can't really be best friends with these women and supervise their husbands. It just costs us a lot relationally and socially in our church environment and in our workplace. So many women stay the same. And I would say if you have women who are refusing a promotion, I've, I really have not met a guy who's refused a promotion. I really haven't met any, like maybe for, no, I, had, I really haven't had a real conversation with a guy who's refused a promotion, only women. So if right. you have, women that are refusing promotions, there's a reason why. And you have the opportunity to kind of dig into that and be like, what are you really afraid of? And it, it could be the likability trap.
0: You think it's the likability thing? That's why they're saying no?
1: Sometimes. It could be, I don't want to fail as a mom.
0: More sense about their own gifting though too. I mean, I am Sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons. So I just really encourage guys, please don't take no from a female leader in the first moment, like at least have a good leadership conversation, not a, not a condescending you're, you're good, you know, hope you can, right. And you know, if she plays the husband card or she plays the kid's card, or she plays the stress card, just unpack it. You're her pastor, right? You, she has so much more potential for the kingdom and something is holding her back. Cause if you see leadership in her chances are, she has it. That's why you're the leader. You are made to see this in people. So help her unpack it. Could it be that she needs a different time schedule? Could it be that she's worried about losing her friendships? Could it be that she doesn't want to be on the road? Could it be that she's worried about her own identity or ability to deliver? Could she disappoint you? Would she disappoint God? There are just so many pastoral moments. In that one conversation and for many women they don't have people to help unpack where their theology is missing where their calling and their gifting isn't lining up with these great opportunities you're giving her there's usually bad theology behind that and you have a chance to get in there dig it out correct it and then release her into the kingdom
0: okay so i'm gonna ask you to okay coach me on this then and i think this will help, help helpful to other people so for example in that particular you're saying yeah help her unpack it so there's stuff going on inside her that makes her feel that way. This, this, this woman leader and help her pastorally deal with that appropriately. But you could probably also, I think we could say too, there's a culture that we've, that we've created in churches that have really caused her in some ways, or at least, I don't know, I won't give it blame, all in the Cause we have to resist sometimes the culture, but have contributed certainly to her feeling that way. So like at community, um, the Point person, the lead person on our teaching team is a female. Um, the person who's the large who leads our largest location is a female. We have female leaders on our directional leadership team. Now, as we, the person who champ, who's our champion for all of our ministries, you know, who oversees all of our ministry champions, she's is a female. So, I don't want to create. I, how do I not create a culture, or how do I help fix or create a better culture so that that women don't feel that. Hmm. Does that make sense? So you're right. Everybody has to do their own work with their own junk, but how do I also create an environment that doesn't kind of uh, contribute to that?
1: So I think part of it is when you talk about calling, or you talk about gifting, or you teach leadership to make sure you're Acknowledging that imposter syndrome that so many leaders experience, and again, this becomes really important.
0: That's, the, just, that's not only a that's that's probably not only a female thing. That's a, no, it's
1: that's it's an everybody thing. Every leader wonders what in the world they're doing in this role, right? And every leader struggles with insecurity. And a lot of times when I talk about female leaders, I get the guys up coming up afterwards. Guys struggle with insecurity, and guys struggle with what. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's true. But overall, the number of negative experiences that women and other minorities' experience is just so much greater that the impact tends to be much more stalling. And so it's important to do for everyone, to advocate for everyone to look at themselves the way... God looks at them, for them to study their gifts, for them to develop themselves, for for them to have faith when God calls them to a new leadership opportunity to really step in and speak up and risk looking like a fool and risk, right? It becomes very confusing, particularly for females, though, um, when they've grown up in any sort of environment uh, where submission is the number one qualifier for godliness. Now, most leaders, when they grow up, and I would say most guy leaders, when they grow up, uh, have the opposite message, speaking up and standing up like Daniel, right? Um, being the one person who, who takes on Goliath. right? That's the narrative of leadership you've had since you were a little boy. In fact, even if you weren't to go into ministry, you were just to be the leader of your family. Every guy who grows up in church has the term leader on them honestly, whether they're a leader or not, whether they're gifted to do that or not. So in some ways, I think guys feel a lot of pressure when they're not gifted that way, that they're not a very good godly man. So we have issues around this all over the place. But for many women and again, many minorities in uh, majority cultures, those statements tend to be much stronger and much more consistent. And so when you're teaching, when you're teaching leadership, acknowledging that and realizing that most people, they don't have your journey and they haven't had your level of experience, they're new. And saying something in a meeting is a big deal. And speaking up and negotiating is a big deal. And making sure that you're also speaking against the things you know that would stifle people. So if someone makes a request for a raise. You celebrate that. When someone asks for more money, even when they're 25 and it's completely inappropriate cuz 14 kids at a campus do not need $6,000 for whatever. You know, you you honor the fact that they're dreaming big, right? Because that's what builds a leader. And so creating a not really a no mistake culture, I don't want to overemphasize it, but honoring risk-taking, honoring stepping out, honoring asking for things, honoring the things that people who shrink back naturally don't do, rather than where most of us are coming from, which is when I shrink back, I am rewarded. And when I speak up, I am disciplined.
0: Got it. So I kind of hear what I'm hearing. say in summary. It's kind of like, you just need to say some of this out loud. Say, say out loud to the whole staff, at times to the whole church, here, here, here's here here's what's wrong about this, and catch them doing it right. When they do it right, celebrate it, encourage them, give them a pat on the back, reward it in some way.
1: Yes, and I think if you're one of the majority, and for, for this conversation,
0: it's basic, it's basic culture creation stuff again. It That's
1: is, good. but but when you are the majority. Yeah. Unless you educate yourself, you don't know what to say out loud. You're saying out loud the things you need and the people around you need. But if you don't educate yourself, you don't know what the rest of your team needs to hear. And the older you get and the more experience you have and the longer you're in leadership, the less in tune you are to the people who are starting out. And those are the people that matter the most.
0: That's good. Well, I mean, and and so, yeah, I mean, case in point, what you just talked about with likability, other than your book and what you described right there, I was kind of unaware of that. I know, um, one of one, one of the, one of the a female leader on, on our staff team, I remember told me said, I never walk into a room to speak and I don't feel judgment. Yeah. And I was, and again, just, you know, probably as a white guy, I was like, really? Cause I mean, you know, when I walk into a room, I feel opportunity
1: and (laughs) that must feel awesome.
0: (laughs) It's not fair. And yes, it does feel awesome, but you're right until you told me about the likability thing until she told me about, yeah, when I walked, it was going like, I didn't know that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so now by just knowing that too, it helped, it creates another awareness in me. Like, okay, how do I create a culture where yeah, brilliant female communicators can show up and teach and not feel judgment.
1: So one of the things that I recommend for cultures that are trying to shift this perception is uh, how you introduce leaders um, in teaching environments, in leadership environments, but you, you carry the authority. And so when you hand your authority and your approval to someone, it changes their entire experience. Um, so I see this a lot for churches. If you're deciding to introduce female speakers or even co-teachers in onto the platform, it's really important how you introduce people. So some of the research that's interesting, around this is when we introduce men into roles of authority, a new job, their guests speaking, they're speaking at a church, whatever the role is, uh, they tend to get introduced with their accolades, with their accomplishments, with um, uh, degrees they've had, positions they've held. When women are introduced, they tend to get introduced based on their personality and their relationships. So we might say, hey, meet Dave. We're really excited to have him here and lead us today or whatever. And he's in charge of this and he's been a senior pastor for this long. And he has this degrees. He has this many books. Here's Katie. She's going to lead us today. She's been married for 25 years. She's got one son. She's just the, the sweetest girl. We just love her smile. She's just brings so much energy to the room. Go ahead, Katie, lead us in a new initiative that will totally shift our paradigms, right? We set them up completely differently. So in fact, one of the questions we were just getting in is yeah, what it. do you do when women are not respected by the men around her? Because what you do guys about us, tells everyone following you what they should think about us. And so you have the opportunity to say, Hey, this is someone I'm following. This is someone I respect. This is someone I'm learning from. I think you're really going to gain a lot from this. Now you don't want to be like, this is the best female speaker you've ever seen. You're right. You don't want to like set this <laughs> unmatched But talk about the impact it's had on you or talk about the accomplishments that allow her to be in the place that she is, that she's going to actually lead in this way. It's a small thing. It takes some intentionality, but it makes a huge difference, not just to the audience. It makes a huge difference to the women or whoever you're introducing. I get to walk into something where I don't have to spend the first 15 minutes, you know, secretly telling stories that introduce my credentials, you know, and I just ate up a third of my time. Because no one said, hey, she knows what she's talking about.
0: All right. So, so when I said Katie Cole, she's a best selling author. She's also an in demand speaker. And she
1: has <laughs> good job, Dave. You did it.
0: i with her. I always learn something. But it's, you know what's really good, though, is you said it out loud because I mean, I did it, but I'm not sure. I don't know if I knew the why. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Right.
1: So- well, yeah. and you've been working on this for a while, right? I mean, you yeah, have, I, mean, have been, and-
0: I have been working on it, but again, you saying that gives me a handle. Going like, I mean, maybe just intuitively made sense to me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but but now I'm going like, oh, okay, now that's why I do that,
1: right? So and I think the key for me with this book is saying, hey, women, you also can ask for this, right? So, like in many ways, when I get on a podcast or an interview yeah, like, like this,
0: what what they could do what now?
1: So they can ask for this. So when I know that I'm having a webinar, right, I send you some information about myself. Hey, Dave, I know I haven't seen you in a few months, but let me just remind you, I'm a best-selling author. I have this company of my own. I work with businesses and churches, right? I'm telling you the things that are all true, but I know the things that are going to carry value to the audience. Now, when I speak at the Moms Club, I don't talk about all that. I talk about something different. When I'm a guest speaker at my son's school for the PTA, I talk about something different. So that's why we as women can't just sit back and be like, I hope Dave thinks to you know give me a good introduction. No, I got to own that for myself and say, he's asked me to do a good job. He's given authority to me to be on this webinar and I need to equip myself to give him the best information I can and one of the ways I do that is by helping him introduce me well. That's why it takes both of us. You got to be willing and I have to be willing. That's right. how we that's how we get the job done.
0: That's super practical. Hey, we got another question here too. And I have a bunch, but let's go ahead and look at we'll we'll honor the uh, people listening it said, "Can you draw on some of the differences in communication between men and women that we all get wrong? Uh, for example, interrupting or what kind of a of affirming that may be placing versus affirming or not listening." <laughs>
1: yes. And, So I talk about this a lot in both books because um, men and women, although I do think the research is shifting um, as our uh, sort of culture has seen more women in leadership. But traditionally, um, if you come from strong gender roles, uh, we do have very different communication styles. So a couple that tend to get us in trouble that are good to know is that we tend to navigate meetings and listening to each other very different in our body language. So, when a woman is listening to someone explain something, she want, usually wants them to know that she understands what they're saying. So, she'll shake her head, "Uh-huh." She might even interrupt them to say, "I know exactly what you mean. I had that same example and talk about it." Right? So, her her motivation is to let you know she understands your point and that you are communicating effectively to her. When a guy is in a meeting, He doesn't really do a lot of body language. He thinks about what is being said. And if he agrees, he nods. And if he interrupts, he's ready to change the subject. So you can imagine if you have a team dynamic where you have men and women speaking, and a guy is explaining something, and women are nodding to say, you're making sense. He looks at her and says, she agrees with me. Why would I ask her opinion? She already has told me that she agrees with what I'm saying. Women then feel like they haven't been asked their opinion. They feel like their opinion doesn't count, right? And we get ourselves into these negative spirals. Or a woman interrupts and says, I get you. I have an example that backs up what you're saying. And he's like, why is she taking over for me? Why is she cutting me off? She's trying to control the meeting. I'm not done explaining. So we just miss each other. Um, part of the antidote to well, me not, for this.
0: Not, go ahead. like marriage. <laughs>
1: Well, men and women, we all live with each other. So part of it is really understanding who's on your team. I think one of the mistakes we can make is taking some of this gender-based research and then stereotyping every man and woman we work with as if they fall into a stereotype. That's the whole purpose around like bias awareness is that we stop stereotyping. But being aware of the research or our tendencies or how most people might respond gives us an open door opportunity in our teams to be able to say hey let's talk about our dynamics when we're when we're discussing things right so part of what i did with developing female leaders is create some master classes that teams can process through some of this research together because you, we need to say when i do this it really seems like you're not listening to me. So when a woman is explaining herself and the guy's like looking up in the corner, she's like, he doesn't even pay attention. He's disrespecting me as I'm giving my opinion. And he's actually thinking about what she's saying, but he doesn't feel the need to do this the whole time, right? He's calculating. So women will overtalk or they'll shut down, but still we're missing each other. So talking about those dynamics, really getting to know each other as teammates and then encouraging each other in good, healthy communication skills and making a team, right? How will we as a team make a decision? How will we as a team communicate that we are in support or not in support and not making it about gender or having to tweak who you are, but just coming up with those good kind of covenant practices of a healthy team.
0: That's great. Um, you talk a lot about it, about discerning when to use our leadership voice and when we shouldn't use our leadership voice. Why don't you explain to everybody, when is it appropriate? When is it like, nope, you got to hold back a little bit.
1: Yeah. So women a lot of times uh, worry that they're overstepping their bounds. So for women leaders, uh, especially most of us that grew up in more gender based environments, the cardinal sin is really not an affair of pornography like it is for a guy. It's overstepping your leadership bounds, right? It's speaking too much. It's speaking up too harshly. It's taking over. It's dominating any men who are around you. And even if
0: you're. So like. In those kind of cultures saying that's, that's, that's the cardinal sin. I mean, so what's what, I mean, versus you said like an affair or pornography. So what's the, what's maybe it's never been said a lot. So what's the punishment? If you, if you. Oh, you just
1: don't get invited back. Okay. Yeah. You're out.
0: So same kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, if you're addicted to pornography. Oh, you had a you don't get invited back. So, but for a woman. Yeah. And I'm
1: not saying that if a woman had an affair, she wouldn't be out of leadership. I'm just saying the thing we worry about the most, the thing that has the most weight against us, right. Is, is that issue. And so, uh, so for women, when they go to speak up, it is a huge faith step for most women, um, especially women that didn't have any sort of professional career outside of church. Um, where they learned how to exercise their voice and get affirmed in that. Uh, So those, it's really easy to sort of wait for God to kind of part the heavens and have this big magical light and neon sign come down that says, Katie, give your opinion about this one $5 decision, you know? And so part of what I talk about in the book is how you know when all those things line up, that it doesn't always need this supernatural Holy Spirit takes over you. Now, sometimes that happens. Sometimes God just sort of comes down and speaks through you. And I think we should all pay attention to that. But that's like, five or 10% of the time, right? We have those Holy Spirit moments. They tend to happen a little outside our giftedness. They're things we can't explain. We're sort of along for the ride. I want more and more of those in my life the majority of my life does not have those moments. But for many women, they kind of wait for these big magical moments, and then they find that they're missing all the daily opportunities. So one way we can think about this that's a little bit more neutral is to think about parenting. So in parenting, you have full authority, both moms and dads have full authority over their kids. If we waited for the big magical teachable moment where we would set them, you know, correct in choosing their future mate or how they're going to handle purity in high school or what their career is going to be, if you only wait for the one big conversation instead of all the little daily authoritative conversations you have. Like, hey, four year old, go back in and make your bed. Hey, you know, 10 year old, please go out and rake the leaves, right? Let's be on time for dinner. Phone's away. Like, we're, we're making those authoritative decisions all the way through it growing up experience so that when the moment comes, we recognize it and it actually affirms all those other things we've had. Most women need to get more skilled and build more muscle in the daily kinds of leadership voices. So knowing the authority that's been given you. Again, when you're a parent, most moms don't have a problem disciplining their kids, especially women who are gifted in leadership, right? We know this. We we are good at that, <laughs> right? Well, in our jobs or in our volunteer or leadership roles, whatever it happens to be, we have to be just as strong and have just as much clarity on making decisions, correcting behavior, calling people out, handling conflict, speaking up for things. Um, part of our, it is our giftedness giftedness is a little bit more how we approach things. So, uh, I'm going to always be a little bit, uh, organizational, a little bit encouraging and a little bit teaching. Cause those are my main gifts. Someone else is going to fill my job differently and giving space for that. Uh, a piece of it is the circumstance knowing what is the tone of the room. Am I being invited in all of those things play a role, but it's almost, uh, it's, it's, important that we know when to speak up so that we can also hear from God clearly when to not speak up. Because as leaders, we know, many, all of us, men and women, we know sometimes holding our tongue is the most strategic leadership move. It's what we don't say that communicates the most. One of my challenges with sort of the increase in feminism um, and kind of uh, just overrun feminism, I guess I would say. So like, you know, the future is female women need to find their voice. I agree with that. But to me, the leadership voice is that submitted to the Holy spirit leadership voice that I use it when he calls me to, and I don't use it when he isn't calling me to, and I know the difference. I can tell the difference and I walk in obedience more than I walk looking for anyone's approval. My bosses, my pastors, the people in my life, who says what on social media. I want God's approval more than anyone. And he opens doors for me to speak and he closes doors for me when I don't speak. And I can sin in both directions. I want to be right down the middle in godliness. All
0: right. That's helpful too. Um, I want a little bit different direction too. One one of the things you championed here is together cultures, which, like you mentioned too, was our was our last theme as a part of uh, exponential. You know, kind of this vision of John seventeen of men and women leading together. Um, and you specifically talk about a few different categories like trust based leadership, and then you also talk about mutual understanding and transparent communication. Kind of pull those all together, how do all those contribute to kind of a a unified leadership culture?
1: Sure. One of the things we're seeing in the knowledge culture or knowledge world, which is the kind of the economy, the knowledge economy that we all work in now, especially in churches, is that it's it's not like I own a farm and you're the blacksmith and we have to like work together to make a community on the farm happen. (laughs) Right. We're we're knowledge-based workers, we have to interact with one another. Many of us end up supervising people where we are not the expert on that subject matter. And so what we found now, this is more, this isn't church talk, this is just basic leadership development talk in any organization, is that we've moved from uh, sort of practical, hands-on-based uh, economies where we can actually control that through force or through sanctions, we're now a knowledge-based uh, economy where we have to work through relationships and partnerships. This is based on force. This is based on trust. And so many of us, especially women who are kind of coming from uh, systems or mindsets where we believe authority is the final And if the boss says it, you never question it. When we bring that into a knowledge based economy, it really short circuits our ability because, and I experienced this as a leader. Like I remember walking through the lobby of one of our new campuses and the receptionist said, Hey, Katie, do you like this picture? Now, my job was I was over all the campuses, I was the multi site director. She's like, Do you like this picture behind me? I'm like, That looks great. And I went on to my meeting. Well, three or four years later, someone came to me and said, why did you put that picture up in the lobby of that campus? I'm like, what are you talking about? We said, we tried to change it to update. We're updating you know, the, the paint and the decor of everything. And they said, Katie Cole wants this picture in the lobby. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Like that is not what I was saying. But because we're in a trust-based environment, but that was someone who took my word as the authority Right. Instead of really saying, hey, this is what we're trying to accomplish or this is what we're doing. And so moving to this mutual understanding and and transparent communication is what we have to move towards. So it means I have to be upfront with what my job responsibilities are. I can't hold it in and control it. I can't be the secret weapon. I can't be the only person with the password. That is what we do in authoritative cultures, forced cultures. When we're in trust-based cultures, it means anyone can look at my base camp. Anyone can check my email. Anyone can look at my calendar. You can put yourself on my calendar, right? It's open. It's transparent. Here's what I'm working on. Here are my goals. This is the one I didn't get last week. And this is why. This is the one I'm trying to get to this week. And this is the help I need from you. We're more collaborative, more engaged. If we can get the conversation in my mind, off of who's in charge and who should submit to who and how does all this work and who gets the corner office. If we can move from the tactical things to the transparent trust things and get our eyes off the culture and onto the goals, we, our culture will respond. We can't reach God-inspired goals with cultures of control. We have, we can only reach God inspired goals with cultures of empowerment and trust. That's the only way it works. And you can see it in the ministries, you know, you know, when it's stifled and you know, when it's free to innovate and these are the cultures, these are the leaders, these are the kind of conversations we need to have more and more of now, today, post pandemic more than ever.
0: Give, give us, give us an example. I mean, cause you do, you work with tons of leaders, tons of churches, so What's an example of a church or a situation where you saw, oh, okay, there's a trust, you know, kind of transparent culture that's working right.
1: So one of the places I've seen this the most is in the multi-site movement. And I would say churches fall on all ends of the spectrum, high control to high empowerment. Um, But we do see more uh, salvations, we see more innovation, and we see more multiplication in environments that are more empowerment-based. It does mean that sometimes the the Culture quality assurance isn't as clean. Um, There might be colors that are off. There's a tendency for people to make up their own names for ministries. You know, the multi, when you were in my, you know, in my job as the multi site, you show up at a campus and you're like, what is this? Where did this come from? But it's working there. So those are kind of some environments. Um, What my favorite resource on this topic is uh, Stephen Covey's. Uh, Speed of Trust book. It has 13 trust-based behaviors. I teach it all the time in churches and businesses. It is a an excellent read. I Again, I think it's a particularly important read for right now when we still have many people uh, in hybrid work, in hybrid church. You're probably innovating things. Innovators need to get, have room to innovate and to move fast and to pivot quickly. These kinds of trust-based behaviors, what does transparency look like? What do milestones look like? How do we communicate to each other? How do we define authority? What decisions can you make? What decisions can you not make? Those practices build healthier teams who have aggressive, uh, sort of God-inspired goals. To me, that's the ticket to the innovation of the new of the new expression of church.
0: That's great. All right. That, yeah, that, I think I think I know where we are. And I, I think that gives me a picture. <laughs> uh, for all you listening and this is just like my personal consultation with me. <laughs> I to do this, coaching for an hour. Um, speaking of, okay, so here's another good coaching question. Most, probably most of it's all of its church planners, um, at least currently Uh, Most leaders are men. Um, What are some practical ways? And you've given us some of them, but bullet point a few of these, you know, maybe we just start taking a few notes here on these things here that that we can really help female leaders uh, find their God given leadership voice
1: hmm So the first thing is uh, I would encourage everyone just to take a few minutes and think through the female or minority. Again, I think these principles uh, translate very easily. Think through the, who are the minorities on your team and not just the ones currently on your team, but who are the people in your congregation or your community that for whatever reason are not making it into your leadership ranks? Think about them and then go find some of those people to talk to. It is really amazing if you just kind of, take off your leader hat and your, you know, your fixer hat and just listen to the narrative and listen to the story. I mean, people, you can learn a lot. Some of the examples I've shared with you today about my own journey, right? You learn a lot and get a lot of uh, insight and suggestions about how to shift your own leadership and make adjustments in your culture just by the stories of your own people. And I would champion that more than everyone else's story. You're in charge of your people. So get your people's story to adjust your culture, to really empower your people. Uh, The second thing is to really, now I'll talk specifically about female leaders. Uh, One of the things that most men don't realize is how much coaching, mentoring, and encouragement you have built into your culture already. So when a typical guy walks into a staff meeting, doesn't matter the size of your church, or maybe the network you're a part of, or the regional gathering of pastors, they walk in and they instantly have about you know twenty Barnabases, right? Guys, I want to be friends with and go throw axes with and like you know talk shop with. I've got the speakers and the people putting it on. I have instant mentors. Any one of them, if I just simply ask them to lunch, they will go to lunch with me or coffee with me or do a Zoom call with me. I have I have it baked in to me doing my job as a female leader. When I walk into those environments, I maybe will find one or two women who are in the same boat I am. I don't have any mentors in that room who will probably meet me for coffee. I have very few people I would feel confident asking to mentor me. Um, and so Your women are experiencing that every day on your team. And so you have to supplement. I'm not saying women need extra things. I just want women to get the same things all the guys on your team are getting. So if you have a whole bunch of older pastors who are the grandpas of every young intern and the dads and teaching guys to you know take Tuesdays off and go to the baseball game and here's how you love your wife on Mother's Day and who are the women that are building into the women. And a lot of times this is about balancing home life and the rest of my calling with my vocational calling, who are the women that are doing that? And if you don't have them, it's probably not your wife. If you don't have them, how can you resource women to get that for themselves? How can you make connections? How can you open doors? How can you give them funds to hire a coach? How can you give them the resources they need so they've got everything the guys are having? And the third is to make sure you include women in your leadership development experiences. Whether it's formal things, the way you teach, make sure, like, let's say you're probably having a staff meeting and you're giving a leadership lesson and a culture building lesson, make sure 50% of your examples are women. 50%. When you're teaching leadership lessons from the Bible, at least a third of them should be female leaders from the Bible. Just audit yourself. Pardon? Why a third? Well, most of the diversity ratios say if if 30% of your team or 30% of your content is women uh, or is not the majority, then you get those diversity benefits. So, And there just aren't as many women outlined as leaders in the Bible. So I'm a little realistic about that one. You can't do 50-50 on that one. But make sure you're using all the great women of scripture, that you're challenging yourself to see things differently, that you're talking about racial tension in scripture. It's It's everywhere in scripture, right? There are no white people in the Bible. There aren't any. So everyone in there has racial dynamics at play. We need to be highlighting that. We need to be highlighting gender. We need to be highlighting patriarchy and culturation, all of those pieces. So challenge yourself. Uh, When you take someone to a conference, challenge yourself to always take two. It could be two guys, two girls, a guy and a girl, but Always challenge yourself to change your own practices. If you have a leadership program, make sure you're recruiting women differently and minorities differently. Go after people that are getting stuck on that sticky floor and get them in your pipelines. Just being in the same room. We do not do anyone a service by separating women and giving them extra coaching. This is how women are left out of 33% of what they should be learning is they're not in the real room where the real stuff is getting taught. So just challenge yourself to think more holistically, to take responsibility for all the people who have leadership gifts on your team and in your church, and just challenge yourself to be more inviting to more people?
0: So, I mean, I know a lot of a lot of places are still kind of hanging on to what they kind of call the Billy Graham rule, which mm-hmm. I think has kind of created a, this tremendous barrier that keeps women from experiencing leadership development. I mean, are you just kind of saying, I mean, I would, I'd say ditch it, but are you saying ditch it or, are you, or is there a way around it
1: well, I talk about this a lot in Developing Female Leaders because it is a really important topic. I don't say ditch it. I'm the beneficiary of that. I've never had someone, and I'm the rarity, to come through 25 years of full-time ministry and not have a pastor inappropriately approach me. I've had a lot of really awkward, now hilarious moments. I,
0: I should be careful. <laughs> I'm not advocating for for male leaders inappropriately.
1: No, I know you're uh, not. I do what think,
0: is safety... What I was saying was, I think you need to be able to have one-on-ones with female leaders so you can invest in them and develop them and and help them grow their leadership.
1: Yes. There's all sorts of ways of being uh, an equitable leader. I think the difference is not so much what do we not do with women that we're willing to do with is that who are you, how do you protect your integrity, and what do you do for leaders? And making sure it's the same. So if you personally Don't feel like you can go to lunch with women, but you can with men. Please just don't go to lunch. Bring lunch in for everybody. If you want to have lunch with some, have lunch with everybody. Don't, you know, don't have lunch with just women and not have lunch with men. That feels really creepy, right? So just be consistent. Have integrity in your leadership practices. Sometimes when we use that word integrity, we mean sexual purity, but really integrity means consistency, like the integrity of a bridge. It's consistently built all the way across. You want to make sure you have integrity in all of your practices, that someone doesn't watch you and go, I don't get to be a part of his leadership or her leadership Because uh, there isn't space for me, or there isn't room for me, or they would never do that for me. So, therefore, I can't be successful. That's where we have to really audit ourselves. And that's where, if you ask some people around you, they will help you know because they are all very aware of your inconsistencies, even if you aren't.
0: And I have to maybe want to examine more, but I think that's probably probably a better answer. Yeah, just be consistent. Because if you just are consistent, you're going to end, you'll probably end up the same place, It's my opinion, where I am. uh, And you're going to be developing female leaders to their god-given potential but just be consistent
1: absolutely uh, yep
0: i'll tell you what we we are we are running out of time man there's a whole bunch of stuff other stuff i want to ask you too um we got one minute left why don't you why don't you just give everybody kind of like whatever's on your heart kind of as a ch- nice challenge but then also because i know people are going to want to respond and get the book um and also maybe access katie cole and company for consulting and other things so give us a little challenge then also where we can where we can get those resources
1: Yeah. I would really just encourage everybody on this call that this is a two-part deal, that it's not just uh, the guy's responsibility to make way for women, although it is your responsibility. And it's not just the women's responsibility to learn all the things we don't know yet. It takes both of us leaning into it. And so a huge piece for me of writing both of these books is developing female leaders is really targeted towards guy leaders. These are the things that you might be missing. This is the potential you're leaving untapped. So I would really encourage you to jump into that. There's a video curriculum you can take your team through. It's, it is, it makes a huge difference to just be aware of what's happening and have some language to begin dialoguing about it. Um, mostly it makes a difference because you get a whole bunch more leaders that want to follow you. So it's worth it to you and your mission in the kingdom. And then for female leaders, uh, I just would really encourage you to uh, lean into your calling and not give up. There are a lot of reasons that many of us question ourselves. We question if people want us. We wonder if we're there most female leaders, it's really less about our own value and it's more a question of, is it worth it? And I just want to encourage you that it is worth it. God has a call on your life. He has gifted you. He has placed you in this time and place. It matters what you do with it. So stewarding it well, getting rid of the old things that don't apply anymore and stepping into the new. He's calling all of us to take big steps of faith right now. And you are one of the most important pieces of it. So please don't give up too quickly. Um, And for those who want to know more information, especially on Find Your Leadership Voice, there is a whole system that goes with this. I'm trying to catch female leaders up to where their guy peers are. So this is sort of my attempt. So there's a video series. There's some free coaching emails. You can get one a week for a year that walks you through the curriculum. The book, of course, is a huge piece. There's a journal that goes with it. These aren't really like upsells. These are literally the things I think that we can use to shift our mindset, to renew our mind into what godly leadership looks like and retrain ourselves to be the leaders that God gifted and called us to be.
0: So good. Thank you very much, Katie, and uh, thanks thanks to all of you for joining us, and uh, make sure you take advantage of uh, those resources and uh, follow up with Katie uh, to be able to get those. It will make all of us better. All right, see ya.
1: Thanks so much, Dave. Bye, everybody.